Thank you. I gave the altar call last service, and Pastor Heather raised her hand. So we got her Christian now. Great when your pastors become Christian. <laughs> really helps, actually. Oh, how's everybody doing? Good? Oh, great. Got my notes out of order. That really creates an interesting sermon. Uh, <laughs> preach from the end, from the middle. Everybody doing well? Hey, you look good. You look like y'all got a new spring in your... It's spring now. Hey. So uh, it's great to have you here. And uh, last, last service, you know, Pastor Heather mentioned about the... Uh, the um, fashion show. And I said, if it would get more people there, I will be in it. <laughs> if less people will come as a result of that, I'll stay away from it. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> if you'll join me. <laughs> oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I know how much is it worth to you. <laughs> I know what you'd give me for a handstand. So uh, <laughs> if I come out and, uh, you know, model my new pastor suit. We think it's pink with <laughs> with salmon. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> better save this one with a prayer, huh? <laughs> Jesus, thank you for a tolerant congregation. <laughs> Father, we pray uh, as we open up the Word of God that you would open up our hearts. God, help us to be open. Uh, help us to uh, just maybe chew on one thing this week, and to know that uh, we don't live on just the bread and the <clears throat> the candy bars alone, but uh, we live on the Word of God. And so, uh, fuel us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I, I had a joke that I told last service. It didn't go over very well. But you people strike me as a funnier crowd. <laughs> Higher sense of humor. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll try this out on you. I, I was talking with a, I went to a pastor's conference this week, and I was, I was talking to a pastor, and he said, you know, I had this lady tell me this funny story of what her husband said to her. And so oh, well, tell me. And, and this lady was uh, getting really into this Bible class that uh, the women's ministry of their church was putting on. And it began to talk about how negative thoughts can affect other, other things and other people. And she had planted this plant, put it in a pot, and, and it was, she was having a really hard time getting the plant to grow. Uh, you know, put it in the sun and watering and all that, but it was just it was having a really hard time uh, growing. And she just began to think, man, this plant ain't going to grow. It's never going to live. It's never going to thrive. And she just began to kind of say that under her breath in the presence of the plant. Well, sure enough, one day she wakes up, comes down, and the plant is completely wilted. And she remembers what the teaching was about how the person was saying, your words can speak life or speak death over what you're, you know, what you're aiming it at. And so she began to think, man, I, I think I just killed this plant. I just spoke its death. And so, you know, she's kind of really upset about this. She's kind of pacing. And her, her husband wakes up, comes on downstairs, and she says, honey, come here, I got to show you something, and brings over and says, I think, I think that I may have killed this plant. And he goes, oh, really? And he says, well, what did you do? You know, did you put poison in it? Did you, you know, what, what, what did you do to kill this plant? And she looks at him and she goes, well, she says, I, 
I got to be honest with you. I began to think negative thoughts about the plant, and then all of a sudden, it just died. And her husband looks at her and goes, oh, honey, I don't think that was the case. She goes, really? She goes, why do you say that? She goes, because, honey, I'd have been dead a long time ago if that was the case. (laughs) See, you guys have a sense of humor. (laughs) Before we get to our passage from the Bible today, I want to talk a little bit about rejection. Rejection hurts, doesn't it? You know what it feels like to be rejected? It's not a nice feeling, is it? Rejection occurs when you offer something and what you have offered is refused. And of course, the greater the value of what you're offering, the greater that feeling of rejection can happen, can can take place within you when it is refused. And there's a kind of a good illustration to think about it. Uh, If I walk up to Karen and Cliff here and I say, can I get you guys a cup of coffee? And you say, no, you're supposed to say no, yeah. <laughs> so, reject me. <laughs> so, so I walk up and I say, can I get you a cup of coffee? And you say, no, you want nothing, okay. So, so you say, said no. Now, if I say, hey, would you guys be willing to come out to coffee with me this Wednesday? And you say, you can say it. No. <laughs> Let's just say no. <laughs> yeah, there we go. In the first example, <laughs> yes, are we urgent? In the first example, they're rejecting the cup of coffee, right? But in the second example, they're rejecting me. Everybody over 18 here? Okay. Another thing that I've come across, especially doing marriage counseling, is uh, when it comes to the issue of sexual intimacy. And uh, a lot of times, you know, I'll have, you know, the wife tell me, you know, there's times when he initiates sexual intimacy and I just, you know, I'm, I just tell him I'm, I'm not in the mood or, I, you know, I have a headache. I, I don't, you know, I don't really want to do that right now. And what I've learned over the years is the way a man takes that. It's not that she's rejecting sex. She's rejecting me. Wives don't often know that. They just think, I just don't want to have sex. I, d- I want to be with you. Let's go do something. I just don't want to do that. Of course, the man is feeling she doesn't want to be with me. And this works in reverse. You know, a, a husband comes home and wife says, you know, hey, you know, can we, you know, can we go out for a cup of coffee or can we go for a walk uh, on the trail over here, can we, you know, can we spend some time together? And her husband's like, you know, I'm, I've had a long day at work. I'm really tired. I just, I'd just rather not do that. A lot of times the husband's just thinking, I, I don't have the energy to do that. But what the wife is hearing is, I don't want to be with you. It's a rejection. Rejections can kind of sink down deep. How many of you ever tried to find a job? The hardest thing about job hunting isn't the actual process of it. Anybody can type up resumes, send them out. You know, the nervous part about going to an interview is, is it's you. It's you on the line. It's not your car. It's not your house. It's, it's not your, you know, you're going in and, and, and essentially it's a decision made about you. And when you don't get the job, you don't just feel like you didn't get the job. You feel like you were rejected. 
How many of you have went and asked out someone on a date that you really wanted to date? You really wanted to get to know more and see where things could go, and that person says no. They're not just rejecting going out on a date. Anybody wants to go have fun. Anybody wants to go you know, for a cup of coffee or go to a movie or go to a nice dinner. It's you realize they're rejecting going with you, and it can hurt. It can feel like a rejection. In fact, uh, parents often, I, I had this in my own life, I had reached an age where I no longer solicited my parents' advice. It wasn't that I didn't want it, but I had reached an age where I just began to naturally make more and more decisions on my own. And my mother had confessed to me that when that point in my life happened, she had felt a bit of a rejection that I was not coming to her and asking for advice. Rejection is in some ways a way of life. It is part of life, part of planet Earth. In fact, beginning from first grade, we should begin to have classes on how to cope with rejection. Just like learning how to add, just like learning how to multiply, learning how to build forts, learning how to brush your teeth and tie your shoes, we should all be learning around five or six years old how to cope healthily with rejection. Because the fact of the matter is, not everybody will like you. Not everybody will listen to you. Not everybody will talk to you. Not everybody will notice you. Not everybody will care about you. Not everybody will value what you value. In fact, sometimes those are just people God doesn't have for you, even if you want them to be people like that. So at the end of the day, we have this kind of struggle with rejection. In fact, go ahead right now, high-five your neighbor and say, you've been rejected. You all have. Everybody has experienced rejection in some point or another. I remember when I was a sophomore in high school, this was right around the time when Michael Jordan was becoming big. And, uh, and someone had told me the story that when Michael Jordan was a sophomore in high school, he had been rejected from his basketball team, his high school basketball team. And I remember thinking to myself, if he can do it, I can do it, because I love basketball. My fantasy is to be a professional basketball player. I wish I was six foot five instead of five foot six. I would be in the NBA right now. And so, so I go out and I'm trying hard. I'm doing all these tryouts. I'm showing up at six in the morning to try out for this basketball team. And what do you think happened? I didn't make the team. I remember thinking to myself, man, I was mad at my friend. Why'd you tell me I looked like a fool out there? I did make it my junior year, by the way. But anyway, you know, I did not make the team. <coughs> I remember uh, a few months ago, I was talking to Eric Guy. You know him? He's, he, he plays on our worship team, and he's like seven feet tall, you know. And I, I, I just kind of, you know, I just kind of, you know, we were standing around as guys do, talking. I said, Eric, did you ever play basketball? You you ever play basketball in high school? I bet you you'd have been a good basketball player. And he looks at me and goes, no, I just never was interested in it. Basketball coach wanted me to try out for the team, thought I'd have a starting position, but I, I, just, no, I just wasn't interested. I, I was so mad at him when he said that. <laughs> and I was so mad at God. Why give him a seven-foot-tall body and he doesn't use it for anything and you give me this short little thing, this nubby of a body I got to live in and I could have been the next Michael Jordan. I could jump. Why did you not do this? 
And I got really upset because I wanted to be a professional basketball player. No, because I got the heart in there. I don't know. To be honest with you, I just got upset that here is a guy who's got a body and didn't use it. And I wanted it. And I was jealous. And I felt rejected. I don't even know if I really felt rejected. I rejected myself. <laughs> when we struggle with rejection, we can get angry. You know? We can get jealous. We can get self-pity. We become the victim. Begin to, oh, woe is me. And just kind of die inside. <coughs> but most often it's anger. Most often I see people, oh, I'm going to go tell them this, and I'm going to go do that, and I'm going to go give them a piece of my mind. And I'm thinking to myself, you don't have many pieces left to give. Don't do that. No, a lot of people who don't come to church because they see church as one of the greatest forces of rejection in society. That we are known more by what we reject than by what we accept been my mission since I've come here from day one to change that. We're all broken. We're all imperfect. The reason why we come here and this exists is so that we have a community that understands we're all imperfect. We're all broken. We all need help from God. Amen? It's not my right to judge anybody. Holy Spirit does that just fine without me. Now, before we go further, there really are two kinds of rejection. There's rejection for who you are, and then there's rejection for what you do. There are things that we do that are rejectable. You know, you, you mean to somebody, you disrespect somebody, you, you know, your attitude or your actions or behavior in some way or another are, you know, unmannerly or out of God's will. That is obviously rejectable. And thank God we've got tolerant people in this world most of the time who will see us through those things, those things happen absolutely but then there's times where you're rejected simply for who you are you feel it you know it you didn't do anything it's just you there's something about you people just kind of put their hands up push away that's what we're talking about this morning and my point this morning is very simple when who god says we are becomes greater than who the world says we are we beat the power of rejection. In fact, you become unrejectable. Whenever our identity, who we are, is based on something or somebody other than God's word, we become vulnerable to the damage of rejection. That's why I can't stand religion. Why I can't stand religion is why often I can't stand the systems of the world because both of them are based upon conditional acceptance. Why do I think God's word is better? Because it's based on unconditional acceptance. There is nothing we can do to be more accepted by God. He has already done it. And you'll see in a moment why that's so important. If you have a Bible with you, turn to John chapter 1. If you don't have one, raise your hand, and uh, Dan will come around. He'll give you one. You can keep it. You can write it. You can highlight it. You can, uh, you know, do all sorts of things with it. No, don't blow your nose with it. I mean, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. 
I, I used to be a youth pastor, and they would always, well, can we blow our nose with it? Can we wipe our butt with it? I'm just, come on, you guys. You know, it is the Bible. <laughs> so point number, uh, John chapter 1, verse 9. Today we're talking about the story of Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is a very interesting thing. If you want a one-sentence sermon... On what the power of Palm Sunday is, it's this. Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem a king and was carried out a criminal. Jesus came in with all this acceptance, but it was a conditional acceptance. The people were shouting, yay, Jesus, yay, we're so glad you're here. But deep in their minds, they wanted Jesus to be another Solomon, another David, another Patton, another liberator, and get the Romans out. When Jesus didn't do what the people wanted, they turned on him like this. He entered a king. That's what the palm, kings would enter, and they would lay palms in front of the road to signify royalty. Jesus came in riding like a king and he was carried out off the cross, a dead criminal, rejected by his own. John chapter one, beginning in verse nine, reads like this. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. John would hammer this theme over and over and over that there is a darkness to humanity. There's a darkness to earth, whether you actively perceive it or not. And that Jesus came to be that light, to show the way to a different humanity, a different path to bring us into the eternal life. In verse 10, it says, he was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. So in other words, all of our world comes at the power of one central being who we call God. And he comes into the world as Jesus, and the world did not recognize him. In fact, it says in verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He came to that which was his own, his own people, even though he owns the whole world, he came to his own people, the Jews, and his own did not receive him. Verse 12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, children born not out of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And the theological dichotomy that's happening here is Jesus came to his people and right when you, when, you go to your, when you go to your peeps, you're supposed to be accepted by them, right? Go home to your family. You say, hey, everybody else turns their back on you. Blood shouldn't, right? What's John's point? He went to his people, went to the Jews, the ones who would have the most knowledge of his coming, and they rejected him. But the other side is to those who believed in him and accepted him, they became his new family, his new bloodline, and he became our lifeline. See it? See how it's going there? 
Point number one, rejection tries to tell you who you are. Jesus would stand before the rulers of the Jews. And the rulers of the Jews were going to try to tell Jesus who he was. They're going to try to tell him, you're a liar. They're going to try to tell him, you're nothing but a Galilean legend. They're going to try to tell him, you're a crazy lunatic, a sadomasochist. They're going to try to tell him all these things because they're rejecting his central claim that he has come from God. And so he's on trial, and they're getting all of these people to drum up charges, to mock him, to insult him. They spit on him. They hit him. They do all these things. And it bothers me that 30 grown men would feel all tough and bad when they got one guy in the house. I'd love to see Jesus go one-on-one with one of them. Anyway, that's for another time. So we got this trial, and they are trying to redefine for Jesus who he is. They're trying to say, you're not the son of God. You're not who you say you are. Now, you need to just go ahead and bow and kneel and just recant all this, and we will let you go. But if you do not, you will be rejected, and I mean rejected. On the one hand, they're shouting, crucify him. But here's my point with this. Rejection attempts to have great power over us. It wants to redefine who you are. I've met people. They've been so rejected. They walk around the world. They don't expect nothing good to happen. They don't believe in themselves one iota. They don't think God could ever do anything through them. God could ever speak anything to them. They're just hoping maybe they're somewhere on God's distant radar, if there's a God at all. And just kind of walk around, you know, deflated. Even if they smile, you can just tell there's a seed of rejection that's taken root. There's always two voices. Always two voices we can listen to when people are assessing us, when people are talking to us, when people are engaging the core of who we are. And the one side is fear of rejection or what we do with it, which is sometimes an over-arrogance. I hate to say it. Narcissistic people are rejected just as much as incompetent people. The the problem with narcissistic people is they don't know they're being rejected. People smile around them, but at the end of the day, they're going, this guy is so full of himself, I can't wait to get out of the room. So on one side, you got this whole fear of rejection and pride and arrogance thing going on. On the other side is a voice of God telling us who we are through his word and giving us truth. And you have to understand, when Jesus was on trial, he was listening to this voice and not to this voice. He was not giving any power to who they were trying to say he was. He was only listening to who God says he was. How do we know that? Who else looks up right before he's about to be crucified and says, Father, if this cup could pass from me, great, but if not, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus' focus was on the Father every step he took bearing that cross. Every minute he stood there in that trial. So on the one side, you got people saying, crucify him, crucify him. And on the other side, you got God saying, glorify him, glorify him. On one side, you got saying, he's a blasphemer, he's a blasphemer. And then you got God saying, no, he's the redeemer, he's the redeemer. See, there's two voices. And I go through this all the time. I got voices where I'm the, 
oh man, this person thinks of me, oh no, well, maybe I didn't, no, no, and you get all this fear welling up, and now I got to go, man, I got to get back to this voice. What's the truth, God? What's, what's your word saying? What, what, I got to wrestle, I got to stay over here. Because over here is a cycle of fear and pride I do not want to get involved in. But there are two voices, and they'll try to define us. They'll try to define who we are. Maybe you didn't make the band in high school. Maybe you weren't the cheerleader. Maybe you didn't make first string. I talked with somebody who was literally, I never met this pers- a person like this before. They were literally left at the altar. Can you imagine that rejection? Not even get a, the marriage a chance. Sometimes I'll have say, people say, you know, Tom, you might not be very, very athletic and you're probably not going to be a model, which I take offense at that, by the way. <laughs> I think there is a short and fat catalog out there that has my name on it. <laughs> anyway, but, but I had someone say this before this up in Washington, but they said, but you know what, Tom, I think, I think I know what your niche is in this world. You're a good piano player. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't receive this at all. You're telling me my self-worth should be that at least I do one thing good, and that's play the piano? Are you out of your mind? Do you realize that could be taken from me? Already, as I'm approaching 40, I'm beginning to feel the arthritis infect and invade my knuckles. This piano could break. My hands could break. A lot of things could happen where I'm no longer a good piano player. If I base who I am on one thing I'm good at, isn't that nuts when that thing that I'm good at can be taken away? But when I base who I am on who God says I am, and that can never be taken away, that can never be changed, and that can never be challenged, is that not a more firmer thing to base who we are on? And all of a sudden, the power of rejection is beaten. You become unrejectable because we are who God says we are, not who the world says we are. And I know some of you are very talented. I'm not trying to take that away from you. But at one point, it will be taken away from you. Whether you lose your hands or you simply die. It will be gone one day. What won't be taken away? Who God says we are. And what did he say we are? To those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Hey, before, you had to be Jewish. I'm sorry. It was ethnic. Jesus came to his bloodline. He came to his ethnicity. They said no, and then he opens it up. That was all by divine plan, of course. Where's I going with this? (laughs) I was going with this. That the Jews were trying to get Jesus to believe something different about himself. Not only would Jesus not let that happen, but he focused on what God was saying. And what God had said. You know what God had said to Jesus? At his baptism, God said, you're my son, and I love you. When Jesus said, Father, glorify your name, you know what he said back to, back to the Son? I have glorified it and will glorify it, meaning I'm going to glorify you, your name. 
on the cross. We all focus on Jesus saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We forget that the last true powerful words that Jesus said on the cross was, Father, forgive them, and I commit my hands into your spirit. He was focused and listening to what God was saying to him. Because rejection can try to redefine us. Don't let it. Number two, remember, no matter what kind of rejection you may feel you're facing, Jesus was rejected more. How many of you have ever had the whole city of Bakersfield reject you? Now, some of you may feel that way at times. (laughs) Some of you may feel like the whole world is against you and Bakersfield is your world. But if you open up to Mark chapter 5, you don't have to go there right now, I'll tell you. An interesting thing happens in the life of Jesus. He goes, and there's this demon-possessed man. And he's got like a thousand demons inside of him, inside his soul. Ah, Don't ask me the mechanics of it. And he goes and he heals this man and he sends the demons into the pigs and they run down the ravine and they jump into the lake and this whole big weird thing happens. Well, the man goes into the town and tells the town what happened. The town comes out to Jesus and you would have thought, they, they would have said, man, we want to we wanna hear more. We want to see more. They wanna, we want to do more. And you know what they said to him? Jesus, we want you to leave. And by the way, it didn't just say the mayor. It didn't just say the prosecutor. The whole town, whole village comes out and says, Jesus, go. Now, I don't know about you. Rejection on a citywide scale, that would try to redefine me. I might walk away from that questioning my call. The beauty of Jesus is he never did. He never once doubted who he was. And what he was about. In fact, Jesus would go on to say this. Because the disciples were starting to pick at him. Jesus, you can do all these. We've seen you turn water into wine. We've seen you heal blindness. We've seen you walk on water. We've seen you do some amazing things. Why don't you just do more in front of people? And then they'll all believe in you. And we can move on with the church. You know what Jesus said? Some people, this is, this is in the Bible. I'm not kidding. I just don't know where at the moment. But Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, the power of rejection, the power of unbelief is so strong that even if I were to raise Moses from the dead, they still would not believe in me. That's how hardened rejection can make you. You literally have the inability to receive God, because to get so hard. He said, if, even if I were to raise Moses from the dead, they still would not believe in me. I get worried. I don't ever want to get to that point. I don't think I'm going to, but I know it's possible. Number three, we overcome rejection by focusing on God's truth. Overcome rejection By focusing on God's truth. What is God's truth? It's who he has said we are. Listen to this real quick. This is who God has said we are. Number one, I am his child. 1 John chapter 3. Number two, I am powerful. 
Ephesians chapter 2. Number three, I am blessed, Ephesians chapter 1. I am protected, Romans chapter 8. I am cleansed, Romans chapter 3. I am confident, Hebrews chapter 10. I am forgiven, Hebrews chapter 8. I am talented, John chapter 14. I am fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalm 139. You guys should know that one. I am never alone, Matthew chapter 28. I am free. Romans 6. When you read the Bible, don't just read the Bible. Ask, what is it telling of me? How is it defining of me? And you'll find it there. Yeah, it's, a little, it's like a little mystery at times, but you find it. Sometimes it's obvious when the Bible says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You can apply that. The goal of the enemy the goal of the devil is to load us down either with so much arrogance or so much emotional baggage. We never place any credibility on what the Word of God says about us. And then there's the cycle, the fear of rejection cycle. I like what uh, 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 oh. Soren Kierkegaard, I think, was a theologian in Germany in the 19th century and he said my assessment of human beings is we live a life of fear and rejection management the older we become fear and rejection management closing off people who may hurt us keeping only so close people who can love us anyway number four Move on from rejection by focusing on God's call on our lives. You know, what's interesting, preaching the gospel, and I say this as a minister, preaching the gospel is a lot like trying to give someone a kidney. You know, you, you, you get all cut up inside, you get all, you know, they get all cut up inside, and then after they take your kidney out and put it in the other person, this thing that will save their life, what happens in a kidney transplant? What does the body naturally do? It rejects the kidney, right? So then the doctor has to prescribe drugs in order for that kidney to be accepted. Now, I'm not saying that you all need to take drugs in order to receive Jesus. That's not my point this morning. I know it kind of sounded like that, but it's not. For some of you, that might work. But no, 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 we won't go there. We won't go there. But see, we, we have a natural rejection sometimes of the things that will save us. Just like receiving a kidney. What I found is when you focus on this voice and you listen to this voice and you put a wall between yourself and this voice, you can refuse to feel rejected. You can ignore it. And you can move on and get on with God's got for your life. It's good and enjoyable, and you don't got to get stuck over there anymore. In fact, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus says this. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that town and shake the dust off of your feet. Jesus says you don't got time to deal with that. 
If they reject you and they don't accept you, don't you cry a minute over it. You shake the dust off. Now, obviously, if you've been rude or if you've been mean, Jesus is not talking about He's talking about your basic presence. You come in and, and you are rejected and they are not going to give you a time of day. Shake the dust off of your feet. Move right on. Focus on the truth, not on the lie. In the end, Jesus would stand next to Barabbas when Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, came out. Jesus would be on one end, Pontius Pilate, or I mean, uh, Barabbas would be on the other. Barabbas was a cold-blooded murderer. Jesus was not. They have one final chance to accept this divine son that God had sent them the Jewish crowds, one final chance. And to add insult to injury, the Jews say, give us the murderer. We don't want anything to do with this guy. And then Jesus is led to a courtyard, given a cross beam. He didn't carry the whole cross, just the beam walks through Jerusalem half naked and then they nail him naked they nail above him mockingly king of the Jews and while he's hanging there come on you've won he's dying he's hanging there he's not gonna live the night probably come on you know what the Jews are doing still hurling insults and rejection at him. You know what Jesus is doing? He's still listening to the Father's voice. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, into your hands, not their hands. See? Into your hands, I commend my spirit. Bow your heads with me. This morning, I just want to give a very simple invitation. If you want to feel your spirit come alive, power come into your life, joy, then just pray this simple prayer with me if you've never invited Jesus in your heart. In fact, we can all say this together if you want to. If you don't want to, please be silent. I'd rather you be real and do something out of coercion. But if you want to say this, just say this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I reject rejection. Forgive me of my sins. I invite you into my heart, and I receive your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, for those who struggle with feeling rejected, no friends, no acceptance, or maybe they struggle with the opposite, kind of a narcissistic arrogance, not realizing what people say behind their backs. God, I pray that we would leave that conversation forever and enter into the conversation of God's word. Enter into the conversation of God's voice and God's call in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me and let's close with a song.